right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 10, we were dealing with Jesus's own response. That's at the end of chapter nine, that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. And so he himself responded as the Lord of the harvest, as well as the father, of course. But he responded as that Lord, the one who will actually engage in the harvesting of souls. He responds by calling 12 of his disciples. What he did was he empowered them. He gave them the powers in a sense similar to what he himself had to heal our man of sickness and diseases, cast out devils, even raise the dead. And the whole point of all of that was simply in the proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Their words should be authenticated by their works. And so they were to go out into all of Judea and continue to preach this particular gospel. And so in, in, in doing this, Jesus gave them instructions in the first part, that is, take no provisions for yourselves, that he was teaching them that the laborer is worthy of his support or of his wages. And so therefore, they should depend upon the people to whom they are preaching the gospel to, to take care of their daily needs. Then he told them not to be naive because it would be a difficult road ahead of them. And he simply said that I send you out as lamb or sheep amongst the wolves and that they would have difficulty among other unbelievers, even namely the leaders of Israel. And he told them to harden themselves against such warns and don't ever be worried about how they would defend themselves because at the time that is needed, the Holy Spirit will give them the proper words of defense for themselves. And then he continued to tell them about what exactly is discipleship. And that is, it is a great and wonderful thing that the servant and the disciple should be compared to the master, but nevertheless, always be willing and ready to proclaim Jesus and his teachings publicly. And so therefore, that's why he said in that what I whisper in your ear, what you hear in the darkness, that is their a willingness to proclaim the message of Jesus, even though it may cause them to suffer. And so he begins to even tell them that such suffrage or such division because of their message, that is division because some will accept Jesus as Messiah and some will not. That is, some will hear the message they themselves, the proclaimers themselves of that message will be put on defense even by their closest, the, I'm sorry, their closest of associates, son against father, father against son, mother against daughter, daughter against daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. But nevertheless, he tells them you preach the gospel. So they are compelled to preach regardless to what will happen to themselves. And then he continues on to say at the very end of the chapter to talk about the reward for service. Not only would they who proclaim the gospel of Jesus get a reward, but also those who hear the gospel of Jesus, believe the gospel of Jesus and support the ministers of the gospel of Jesus. They, too, likewise will get a reward. OK, so now enough with all of that. Let's go into John chapter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to John. But anyway, let's go on to Matthew chapter 11. And as we get into verse number one, we'll see basically verse number one of Matthew 11 
literally belongs in chapter 10. Okay, but let's just simply get into it. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, and let me just simply stop there. And so notice what it says. Jesus finished teaching and giving instructions to his disciples about what to do. And it just basically summing it up. When Jesus did that, he sent them out quite naturally. They went out and he himself also continued his own ministry preaching and teaching in the cities. And when you understand the preaching and teaching, you always got to keep this in mind, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah and teaching the things of God, demonstrating, or should we even say, backing up his teaching and preaching with wonderful works. So Jesus continued on his ministry as he, as he sent his 12 disciples to do, to engage in the ministry that he was giving them go out into the cities as well. Okay. So now let's actually get into what should have been Matthew 11 and one. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Okay. So now we get to the issue of John. Remember that John has been imprisoned and it all because of Herod Antipas. In other words, John was preaching against Herod Antipas that he took his brother Philip's wife while Philip was still alive. So therefore this became adultery and Herod had John arrested and put into prison. And we know, and I don't want to get into all of the details associated with this, while John was in prison, it was a day, it was, on, uh, it was, a, it was a day when Herod's birthday, he celebrated his birthday among his noble men and that his daughter-in-law, I'm not daughter-in-law, but his stepdaughter, Herodias, Herodias's daughter, Herodias is Herod's wife. And she danced, no doubt a lustful dance in the presence of Herod. And Herod being filled with wine and lust made a ridiculous vow, vowing to give her up to the half of his kingdom. The woman didn't know exactly what to ask for, so she went to ask her mother what to ask for. And later on, we'll find out that she'll act for the head of John the Baptist. But stopping there, because we're not even there at the death of John. We are simply here at the imprisonment of John. So John has sent some of his disciples to Jesus and his disciples of Jesus. John's disciples had been with Jesus, watching Jesus and listening to the message of Jesus. So they take this message back to John and report on the things that Jesus has done. John is in prison, and so John is therefore confused. Now, let me help you understand the nature of John's confusion. Remember when John first began to teach and preach to the people, even specifically to the to leaders of the people, to the Pharisees, okay? And John was asking, asking them, he said, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Now, take that. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath of God? Bring fruits worthy of repentance. 
Do not think to yourselves that you can say that simply because you are Jews that you are in, you will enter the kingdom of God. God is able to raise up from stones people for his name's sake. OK. And then John began to talk about the Messiah and the work of the Messiah. And in that preaching of John the Baptist concerning the work of the Messiah, remember what he said. His fan is in his right hand and therefore he will judge his people. In other words, long story short on this one too, guys, John preached that when the Messiah would come, he would bring judgment for all the people. That is his own people, the Jewish people first. That judgment, of course, will extend to the rest of the world as he brings in the kingdom of the Messiah. So John's preaching basically said this. I am going to point out to you guys who the Messiah is. And when when and when I point him out and he begins his ministry among the people, I suggest that you repent because his ministry will be a clean up ministry. It will be a ministry that brings judgment. And in his ministry, he will determine who will enter the kingdom and who will be rejected from entering the kingdom. Okay. So the preaching of John's ministry concerning the Messiah was basically one of judgment. So John's problem is this, since his Jesus's baptism. Remember, it is when Jesus was baptized that God pointed out to John definitively. Remember the dove, the Holy Spirit as the form of a dove resting upon him, definitively identifying Jesus as the Messiah. And then after Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. So when Jesus began his ministry, it was completely different from then what John expected. John expected Jesus to begin to clean up and to start judging, but Jesus did not do any of these things. So as John was in prison and his disciples were reporting to Jesus, all the things that he was doing, John became confused because John here, remember, he is the forerunner. He is the one who is divinely called to go before the Messiah. If John should be anywhere, it should be at the, at the side of Jesus, not imprisoned by the wicked. So John is wondering what in the world is going on? I've been telling people that you are going to come and bring judgment, but you're not bringing judgment. You, you, you seem to be this kind of good guy, so to speak. You're not, of course he's good, but <laughs> what I mean is you're not doing the things that I thought you would do. So John sends his disciples to Jesus wondering whether or not indeed he is the coming one. And that is simply a, a term that is relative to the Messiah, the coming one, the one who should come or as in NASB, the expected one. And so Jesus does not give John's disciples an answer. He just simply allows them to remain with him just a little bit longer and to continue to observe him and observe the things that he was doing, the miraculous things that he was doing, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind and preaching the gospel to the poor. In other words, the things that Jesus is doing 
are only the things that the Messiah could do. And it it predicts the scriptures predict. That is Isaiah 61 predicted that the Messiah would do these things. So after Jesus allowing John's disciples to witness these things, he says, now go back to John and tell him the things you have seen with your own eyes and tell John, blessed is the one who is not offended in me. So therefore the disciples of John were to go back and give John that pointed message of Jesus in the fulfilling of Isaiah 61. And I'm not going to get into that with great detail as Jesus himself went into his own hometown and read partially, partially from the passage of Isaiah 61 in the coming of the Messiah that he heals the sick and all of those other things mentioned beforehand. And then he says, just because you don't understand how things are done, just because, John, things are not done in the way that you have preached that they will be done, they will be done. I, Jesus, the Messiah, will do that. I will bring in judgment, but not now. You are just confused as to the manner of the timing. That is, when Jesus began to do the things that John preaches about, it would be in his return or in his second advent. But Jesus simply says, having seen the things that I have done, relax and continue to believe that I am the Messiah. Do not be offended because it didn't happen in the way that you assumed it. And let me just take an aside and I'm going to try not to do too much preaching that's what some of us need to do. We need to realize and understand that the word of God, God's own working is according to his will, according to his wisdom and according to the way that he and he alone has determined it. God did not bring us before him as our as his counselors asking us how we think it should be done. God administers the working of his plan throughout the universe according to his will and his will alone. And sometimes we are confused. Sometimes we need greater enlightenment. We need to come into understanding. We need to submit ourselves even to the wisdom of others that we may learn from them instead of getting a nasty attitude. And that's the very thing that John the Baptist did not do. He died. He died as a believer and his faith in Jesus remained unshaken. So we need to be careful. Because there's much to understand about God. Well, first of all, we'll never understand about God because we can only on only way to understand about God. You must be a God in order to understand the infinite. You must have infinite capacity. The one thing that the scripture scripture teaches concerning us, we are finite, the very opposite of infinite. We'll never understand it all. We'll never understand all of God's word. Therefore, it is necessary for us to always Submit, or should I even say, have a spirit of humility 24 7. But anyway, so Jesus is and simply says, Tell John, you are blessed. Just hold on 
Keep believing that I am the Messiah, even though there are some things you don't understand. Okay. So now John disciples quite naturally go to John in prison and reports these things unto John. And now when Jesus, Jesus, you can imagine as others were listening or looking upon the interaction between John, John's disciples and Jesus, they began to think within themselves. Is John kind of little shaky here? Is this John kind of unsure that the one he himself has pointed out to be the Messiah is the Messiah? Is John slipping? And this is when Jesus comes to the defense of John the Baptist in our next section. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not, not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I like that. Beautiful. So now let's look at what happened. As I was saying to you earlier, those on the crowd, no doubt listening to it. And Jesus comes to the defense of John and he begins to say concerning John the Baptist, John was no weak man. John was no petty man. John was no soft man. And I don't want to get into that. But boy, that 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 I like that. I like that because I see myself in that same instance. Weak and soft. No, sir. Stand for what you believe in. Stand for Jesus. Even when all men forsake you, when your family forsake you, your wife, your husband, your children. Boy, that John the Baptist could bring it on. And notice as Jesus was saying here, no soft man, because John was the very opposite of that. Notice what he ate. Notice how he ate what the honey and, and the locusts notice how he dressed not in soft clothing but he drove in the line in the loins cloth of camel's hair so john did not fit any parameter of such a one who could be this way today and that way tomorrow some soft and indecisive man and that's exactly what jesus is saying about john the baptist if anything don't you guys look at this particular situation taking place here in John's confusion. Do not mistake John's confusion to be John's 
indecisiveness or his wishy-washiness because those kind of men are found in wishy-washy environments like the king's court. But let me tell you, as Jesus continues to teach, I will tell you, I say unto you who John is. He was, what did you come out to see? A prophet, a prophet indeed, the greatest of all prophets. And what I like about that is, Notice what Jesus says as he give, and if Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, Jesus, who knows not some things, but all things, all things from eternity past, all things from eternity in the future. He knows everything. And Jesus says that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, even the greatest man ever born of a woman. And what's to take into consideration right here is, notice when you see many things in the prophets of the Old Testament, they did many miracles. Remember Elijah and also even Elisha, the great powerful miracles that they had done. And notice concerning John, John the Baptist did no miracles. The power, the pure power of John came because John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb of his mother and John's power came in his ability by God to preach. So when you hear John preach, man, it'll burn you up. And John could not, it wasn't even necessary for John to do the miracles. His preaching was more powerful than anybody within itself. And John was not even, and if you let me make this comparison and I don't want to be too harsh, John was not even like Elijah who ran away. But John stood his ground. And so Jesus continued to say, he is the greatest prophet to ever lived. And yet he gives a comparison. And here's, the, here's where Jesus begins to look forward. As the close, as the close of the Old Testament period, the period of the law and those under the law and the opening of a New Testament period or a kingdom under the Messiah, the new kingdom. Notice what he begins to say in verse number 11. Even yet those born, those who are in, those who are in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, the very least of them. Now imagine that. So he begins to kind of like compare one era, an era that is closing and it closes. Listen carefully. That era closes with John the Baptist. And by, by in the closing of that era, God gave God sent his very best. That's John the Baptist and it closed. But with the beginning of the new era, the kingdom of heaven, even the least one, the very least one in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That tells you how one era is so far greater than and distinct than the other. As the Old Testament era closes with this greatest prophet of all, the New Testament era, that is the kingdom of Messiah, opens with the very least in his kingdom being greater than the greater one in the closing of the old kingdom, which gives us or shows or indicates greater benefit. 
those under Christ greater benefit. And also let me throw in this particular caveat too, so you'll understand it. That's why John the Baptist must always be considered under the old Testament, the old covenant. Why? Okay. I don't want to get into that with a lot of details, but from the simplicity of what Jesus is now talking about, the distinctions of two era, the old and the new, or should I say the old versus the new John is classified under the old. And so therefore John is old Testament and he died under the old Testament. Cause remember John died before Jesus's death burial and resurrection. You are considered to be new Testament when you are in the resurrection of Jesus. That's that new Testament age that is to come. Okay. But anyway, so nevertheless, then he gives this cryptic statement and that's in verse number 12 from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And so notice you gotta, you gotta be very careful to interpret it from the days of John the Baptist. That is from John's time in his preaching, not of all old Testament days, not of our days, but from John's days, notice the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men try to take it by force. In other words, John the Baptist was withstood by the leaders of his day. Those Pharisees who came to hear John preach and to teach and John proclaimed that the Messiah was standing amongst them, that John would point out Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. And what did the leaders do concerning John? They resisted both John as well as his message. And they came against John by force. They came against the message of John by force. They resisted that with everything that they had. And this is what Jesus is saying in a cryptic way. And then he says this, notice how Jesus, he, he brings about all, just let me read the passage now, 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. See, notice he wraps up that Old Testament age for all the law, all of it, and even all of the prophets ending with John, who is the greatest prophet. Their, min their ministry of the Old Testament came and ended with John, the John the Baptist. But now watch this. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Now, this also kind of has a cryptic message too, but in again, not so cryptic. So what is he saying? This era of Old Testament, as I was saying to you, as we would simply use it in the vernacular, the terminology, we would say it today. All the law, all the prophet uh, consummated, came to a completion with John the Baptist. And, but what did John the Baptist do? What was his whole function? John's function was to point unto Christ. Remember, as he simply said, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Malachi, what is it? Three and one. And then again, Isaiah 40, John who prophesied the way unto the Messiah. This was, this is one of the things that made John the greatest of all prophets. And as John pointed the way unto the Messiah, 
If the nation of Israel, if the nation, if the people of Israel were to heed John's word, his word about what? This Jesus is the Messiah. If you receive that, then the kingdom of God would come. If the people would receive Jesus, they would receive the kingdom of God and John the Baptist would fulfill the role of Elijah the prophet because the Malachi also says, I believe it's in Malachi chapter four, Malachi also said, I will behold, I will send uh, Elijah the prophet before you, before that great day, before the coming of the Messiah. So what he was literally saying was, if you believed and listened to the message of John the Baptist, receive me Jesus as the Messiah, there would no longer be the need for the coming of Elijah again because John would serve in this capacity. And that's what he was simply saying. John would serve in the role of Elijah because he would turn the hearts of the fathers, the children, and everybody would be prepared for the coming of Messiah because it was always stated in the word of God and it was a firmly firmly held Jewish belief that before the kingdom would be established, before the kingdom would be established, Elijah must come back first. And this is what happens in Matthew 17. Remember at the transfiguration of Jesus, whom did you see? Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. Okay. And then the disciples kind of confused. They went away. They went away. Moses and Elijah went away because the disciples said to Jesus, didn't you say that Elijah was to come first? And once again, Jesus relates to what John the Baptist, he said, indeed, Elijah must come first. He said, but John the Baptist could have served this mission. If the people simply had believed his message and believed in me as Messiah. Okay, so that's the whole point of all of that, even though Jesus said it that point in a cryptic way. And that's why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is not only a willingness to hear, but this is also an understanding of Jesus's words. So when he says you got an ear to hear, you desire to hear and believe Jesus is preaching, even John's preaching, but also here you do understand what Jesus is saying. And that's what he means by that. All right. So now let's go to the next section. But to what shall I compare this generation? So as Jesus prepared, as he just gave a defense of John and how John was steadfast. Now he begins to direct his message to the people who heard John's message. In other words, it was not John who was finicky and, and, and wishy-washy. It was the people that heard John's message was finicky and wishy-washy, not John. So let's go again. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. 
the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Okay. So now Jesus turns his attention to the crowd. He, he was speaking to the crowd already, but he turns his attention to the crowd in upbraiding them for their unbelief, their unbelief, both in John and their unbelief in Jesus as the Messiah. Cause remember that's the whole point of John to turn people to Jesus and Jesus declaring himself to be Messiah. So what did he say? He said, let me tell you about this generation. How can I compare it? So he begins to compare it as children in the marketplace. He gives two things. He says, notice one. And okay. Slowing it down. These children, two things. They are what sitting in the marketplace, calling the other children, played the flute. You did not dance, sang a dirge. You did not mourn this speak. And then he begins to say, John came, he did not John came no eating and drinking. Son of man came eating and drinking. So let me just put it all together in one shoot. Children in the marketplace, one sit, another children in the marketplace, one group of children, they're singing and playing, playing music on the flute. And by them singing and playing music on the flute, they expect the other children hearing this joy for music to dance. But those children did not dance. And then, okay, fine, let's switch it up. Let's begin to sing or do the voice of a funeral dirge, a funeral mourn, mourning song. And now what he said, we expect those children to do. We expect them to mourn. So his point is that the stylistic message of John the Baptist and Jesus were both very different. You see, John's message was austere. That is John the Baptist preached the judgment. John's message was coming. John preached on your rock. John didn't play. John tore the house down. When John got through, he cleared the floor out. This is indicative of when he says the children giving a mourning and a funeral judge. Why? Because John's message was like that. It wasn't a message of happiness and joy. It was judgment and sadness. And you need to be careful because the Messiah is going to tear you out the frame. But nevertheless, the people did not receive John's strict and austere message. But now, nevertheless, his message was still related to what? Jesus is the Messiah. Notice a hard message, an austere message, a rough message, but still talking about what? Jesus, the Messiah, and what he will do. Now, let's look at the second point. Jesus is preaching. Jesus compared his preaching as when you are doing the dancing, I'm sorry, the children playing the flute. So you play the flute, that's Jesus preaching, preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. So with all of this happy playing the flute, happy preaching, what do you expect from the people? You expect them to rejoice in the dancing at Jesus's preaching. But notice what he says. They still did not dance. What is Jesus saying? At my kind of preaching, 
Still, everything, whether about John the Baptist or about me itself, is about I am, I, Jesus, am the Messiah, but my preaching was altogether different from John. And the way that I did things was from a happy perspective, was from a joyful perspective. Remember they came asking me about fasting? I said, no, no time for fasting in mourning when the bridegroom is present. My preaching and his style was altogether different from John. So you would naturally expect what? That the people, the, who those who rejected the way John preached, maybe they'll accept the way I preach with the happiness and the good news of the gospel. He said, but guess what? They rejected that too. So guess what you have? Whether it's the austere, strict preaching of John the Baptist or whether it's the happy preaching that came from me, the gospel of the good news, they rejected me from every point. And so what they said about John, what they said, John from his preaching got a demon. That's crazy. They said about me from my preaching, they say, look at him. It don't make no sense if he's supposed to be the Messiah. Why does he eat and drink with publicans and sinners? In other words, they completely rejected me through the preaching of John. They rejected me through my own preaching but those who did receive me as Messiah, whether from John's preaching or from my own preaching, truly they have vindicating wisdom. Wisdom is vindicated of our children. Those who truly believe in me from either perspective show themselves to be wise. Okay. Unlike the rest. <laughs> All right. Now let's get to another section where Jesus begins to denounce those particular cities. Now we'll talk about that as we work through the text, but what we're going to see is when greater knowledge and greater light is given, greater revelation is given, heavier responsibility is also expected and heavier judgment is given. And for this reason, we have to be careful. You know, let me tell you something that I've, I've dealt with in my lifetime. And I'm going to try to say this in an humble way, in an humble way. But, but just let me say it. And I think you guys understand how I'm trying to say it. I met people and they want to hear certain preaching and teaching and whatever, whatever, whatever. And people believe in have come to me, whatever, whatever, whatever. And they want to hear things. They want to receive the knowledge of God and the revelation that come from scripture and have this super abundance in wisdom, but they don't want it for the right reason. They really want it to exalt themselves so that they can go somewhere else and begin running their mouths and take a place in the high place and where people can say, wow, John really knows or wow, Susie really knows when John and Susie both need to go somewhere and sit down because the Bible teaches whatever we do, whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, do it all to the glory of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are not to get any credit. We are not to try to let the light shine on us like little Satans, but they want this for the wrong reason. But know this, know this. And this is what I'm saying here. When you receive it, even if you don't receive for the right reason, God expects number one for you to live it. And if you fail to live according to that knowledge you were seeking, 
that knowledge that you receive, if you fail to live accordingly, your judgment will be twice as bad as the one who never heard it whatsoever. And that's what Jesus is about to say. So I say unto you, listening even to me, be careful of desiring knowledge. Be careful of desiring wisdom for failure to live accordingly will bring a worse judgment on you than the joker who never heard it before. Now with that, let's just get into the verse. Verse 20. Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities in which his most in most, which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Why? For if the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom had occurred in you, it would have remained this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, that's powerful. So notice what Jesus began to say, even as I just said in our, the little prologue to this section. He looked at the cities. Remember, Jesus not only preached and taught, but he did mighty miracles. So he was saying those cities that he went to. Because they did not repent. Notice, they saw, of course, they heard the preaching. They heard the teaching. They heard Jesus proclaim, I am the Messiah, the sent one of God, spoken of by the prophets of the Old Testament. And he validated it. He bagged it up by doing stuff they ain't never seen before. And state, but now, and see the crookery, the crookery, the crookery of folk, the crookery of folk. And I don't want to get too involved. I want to get too emotional because I get emotional. They love to receive the benefits of Jesus's power, the benefits of his goodness, the benefits of his person, the benefits of his, pre his presence, the benefits of his blessing. Those, they receive the miracles. They receive the healings. It's, it makes me hot, but now you don't want to believe. And this is the same thing for us today. People always want to use God. Use God. Okay, I'm about to preach. I'm about to preach. I'm sick of that. Number one, you cannot pimp God. You can't pimp God. You can't use an all-knowing, all-powerful being. How are you going to play God? Impossible. But people try to do it all the time. People try to get to heaven all the time in rejection of God at the last minute. And I'm going to get into all of that. Same thing, but back to the text, back to the text. Jesus did many one. Notice it war unto you, Chorazin. Now, the first thing that I tell you about Chorazin is, where is it said in scripture anything about Jesus ministering in Chorazin? It does not. It does not. It gives the credence to what John in the Gospel of John, that is John the Apostle said, if we were to tell you about all the things that Jesus did, 
it will fill all the books in the world. I don't even want to get into that much. That, that's only, he only, he only ministered for three years. Wow, what in the world did he do in three years? Jesus did some stuff. But by the mention of Chorizon, it simply goes to say, and remember this, guys, it is important to remember none of the gospel writers, none of the gospel writers, when they record the miracles and the wonders of Jesus, they are, none of them are telling you all. So all, if you put it all together, this just, they are simply selecting certain miracles. They are selecting certain things that Jesus did to tell their story. That's all. They are not in no way, form or fashion, trying to tell you everything. So that's the end of that. That's what Chorizon teaches us, that Jesus did many things in places that were never spoken of in the scriptures. He mentions Chorizon and Bethsaida, okay? Basically near the seashore. And these are Jewish cities. That's what's important to remember. That's what's important to remember. These are Jewish cities. But notice the comparison that Jesus gives. For if I did the miracles in Tyre and Sidon, these are Gentile cities that I did in you, they would have repented long ago. And notice what he says. If I had did the miracles that I did in Tyre and Sidon in Gentile cities that I did in you Jewish cities, they would have repented. That is, they would have heard my message and believed in my messiahship. They would have believed in me. Now, by the saying of, see, that's what I, he did no sin, that is Jesus. And there was no deceit found in his mouth. Lord, let me be like that. I'm not. I want to be that way in totality. No deceit. He told you just like it was. And he told you just what he thought. What you need to see is by him comparing. And he's going to do this again. Chorizon and Bethsaida. Jews to Gentile. These Jews that Jesus is speaking to. Their nostrils are beginning to flare and the anger you can see, oh my goodness, how dare you say Jesus? How dare you tell us the covenant people of God, the chosen people of God? How dare you compare us to Gentiles, even to say that Gentiles would have go, are going in in the kingdom of heaven and we won't, that is, they would have believed in your Messiahship. How dare you, Jesus, compare us to Gentiles. But notice what Jesus says. Nevertheless, it would be more tolerable. Notice, see, notice, tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon never heard Jesus preached. But guess what? Bethsaida and Chorazin, they heard Jesus preached and they saw the mighty works that Jesus did. He says it's going to be more tolerable for them in the judgment. Again, Notice judgment is not always the same. Judgment is measured. It is measured in accordance to light and revelation. Again, as Jesus would later on say, he who knew his master's will and yet did not do it shall be beaten with many stripes. So notice 
these Gentile cities going to have greater mercy from God, greater mercy from God than Jewish cities. These notice here, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why? God comes. He's, well, actually, it's going to be Jesus. You had an advantage that they did not. You actually saw me. You actually heard me. You experienced the mighty works that I did. And yet you did not believe. Yet you rejected me. So therefore in the judgment, in the resurrection from the dead, they will be judged more severely than those who never heard, even those Gentiles. And now Jesus raises it to another level as he continues. Notice what he begins to say. And you Capernaum, and remember now, Capernaum was the home base of Jesus. Capernaum was the home base. This is where Jesus did many of his mighty works. You note, and they would naturally have an expectation. Notice, oh, it's going to be well for us. So Jesus said, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? Are things going to go well for you like you think just because I was there? Just because my headquarters was there, just because I made this my base of, of my ministry, you think just because of me simply being there is going to work well for you? <laughs> he says, let me compare you to Sodom. Remember again, Sodom is a Gentile city. But notice this now, notice this. But not only was Sodom a Gentile city, but according to scripture, of the wickedest cities of all was Sodom. This is inclusive Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole idea. Jesus simply calls it Sodom. Of the wickedest of city was Sodom. How wicked was Sodom? It merited, it deserved the very judgment of God for its wickedness. Now notice what Jesus is saying. You think Capernaum, you're gonna be in good shape in the judgment. If but you are going to fare far worse than the city who actually received judgment. The wickedest city taught of all in scripture, a Gentile city, Sodom. Why? Because if I had done the same thing, now look at the mind of God. Look at the mind of Jesus exercising now that divine knowledge. If I had done the same thing in Sodom that I did in you, Capernaum, what happened? Instead of Sodom being destroyed, it would be here to this very day. You'll be able to look at Sodom and it's still there. So notice, <laughs> and boy, can you imagine these Jews, and especially the leaders, the Pharisaic leaders, thinking themselves to be righteous and being compared to Sodom. Wow. They are hotter than a six shooter. But once again, let me tell you guys something. Jesus told you just like it was. May we all as God's disciples, as Christ's disciples, do the very same doggone thing. We want to save people. We want people to come into the knowledge of the kingdom of God. But. We don't want to do this at the expense of the truth. If you're going to truly participate, notice what I said, participate in people's conversion, coming to Christ, you must and you need to tell folk 
just like it is. Don't be nasty, but don't sugarcoat it. Tell them the truth, as Jesus said, even concerning himself, because this is what it's all about. Jesus himself, you will know the truth and that truth shall set you free. Truth in broad application and truth in the narrow application. That is to the person of Jesus. But we're not going to get into that. Tell them like Jesus would tell them. And then again, he ends it by saying it would be more tolerable for Sodom in the judgment than for you. Capernaum. So again, the whole whole point is when greater knowledge, light and revelation is given to a nation, to an individual, to a person, you are held to a higher level of responsibility. You need you must act in accordance to this knowledge or otherwise your judgment will be even more severe. So I say this on a practical basis. Let's just be real about it. And I say and I say this to my own church family. When I teach and preach and I say this now to you, this community on the Internet, you come and you say you hear the preacher say, I like it. I like it. Okay, okay, fine. Be careful not to let it go in one ear and come out the other, because what does Jesus say? When greater light and greater revelation is given to you, I expect more from the day that you heard it. I expect more from you that very day. But if you fail to live according to what you have received, when I judge you, oh, we're going to have a time that day. I'm going to get you. So let us all remember, we don't want to simply hear the word. We want to be hearers and doers of these things that are taught to us. All right. Now let's wrap it up. Concerning this coming into the kingdom and this judgment, stricter judgment at that time. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well pleasing in your sight. I like this and I'm trying to keep from shouting. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father. And nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Okay. <laughs> he always gets me with that part. So notice what he says as he begins to rebuke the people. Because notice, keep everything in context, saying, keep everything in context. He was rebuking the people who heard his preaching and teaching and saw his wonderful works. Remember? Capernaum, Bethsaida, all of these different places heard it. He rebuked them. But now notice what he now begins to do is give a reason. OK, Lord, give me strength. And I don't want to get emotional. And guys, this teaching will take you into so much greater depth, the great depth 
the meat, you know, the Bible talks about in the right of Hebrews, those who drink milk and those who eat meat. This is meat. Okay. So what Jesus is doing here is, so let me explain it. To those who has rejected his message, that is, they did not receive him as Messiah. They had the preaching of John the Baptist. They didn't receive Jesus. The, the austere preaching, you got it? The mourning. They had the preaching of Jesus himself, the singing and the dancing, right? They still didn't, re they still rejected Jesus as the Messiah, right? Then they saw the powerful works that Jesus had done, right? And they still rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Even then, that was the issue of judgment that we just got through talking about. So now Jesus begins to talk about the why. What's behind the rejection of these people? Why are they rejecting you, Jesus? If anything, notice, common sense should tell you Jesus is the Messiah. You see what he is doing. Shouldn't your mind, the evidence say, Jesus is the Messiah, and you just simply should do what? Receive him. What else can he do? Right? There's a mystery behind these things. So what? At that time, talking about their rejection of him, at that time is dealing with the rejection. Jesus began to look to heaven, notice, and says, Lord, I thank you. Father, I thank you. Notice, Father of heaven and earth. You hid these things. Notice the, re the acceptance of Jesus. You see it? I want you to feel it. The acceptance of Jesus, believing in Jesus. You hid these things. God the Father hid them. Notice, line upon line, from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Now, that's the first statement. It was God's predetermination for those who receive Jesus, it will not be the wise and intelligent. Those who consider, and you're going to see how this is a slap in the face of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, and the scribes, because they considered themselves to be what? wise and intelligent. If anybody knew they considered themselves the rabbis and the Pharisees of that day, they considered themselves to be wise and intelligent. But notice these were the very ones who rejected Jesus, the ones who should have known Jesus, the ones who should have received Jesus. But notice this, why, uh, why in all that Jesus is doing, why aren't the smart people receiving Jesus, he says, because God did not choose them to receive Jesus. It was God's will to reject. It was God's will to reject the so-called smart folk. And whom did God choose to hear the message of Jesus? Whom did God choose to believe in the miracle? Stay in context of Jesus. Infants. What does Jesus mean by infants? The unlearned. Or in other words, 
the humble. Those who humble themselves. This goes all the way back to the Beatitudes, the, the blessedness. Those who are blessed in Matthew chapter five. Who are the ones who are blessed? The ones who know they have need. The ones who desire for righteousness. Who don't, who don't say, I don't have it. And the ones who humble themselves. These are like children. This is what Jesus is talking about. God the Father predetermined those who will hear the message of Jesus and believe the message of Jesus, the low, the humble, and the unlearned. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say. It was the will of the Father to bypass smart folk. And now the reason why this gets me emotional, it gets me really emotional, is because you cannot beat us wanting to be smart. We want to act like we know something. We have no humility, even in the face of people who even have greater knowledge. We don't want to hear. We are where we're, we're now. I, I, I don't know about all. That. I've been taught Well, this is what I believe. Ain't nobody asked you about all of that. What does the scripture say? And the Bible continuously say to us, Humble yourself. Those who humble themselves shall be exalted. That is, they receive blessing from God and those who exalt themselves. And I'm, I'm sick of it. And I'm, hello, Lord. Everybody knows something. Everybody knows Jesus. Everybody knows the Bible. You know what you can tell the average person? Nothing. Nothing. They've seen it. They know it. They've experienced it all. And they, I can learn the Bible on my own. I can read the Bible. I hear that kind of garbage all the time. There is no humility. And it's not about being humble to a man. Man is nothing. What does Paul say in Galatians 6 and 4? If, if a man, 3, if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, that includes the doggone preacher. He made a fool out of himself. It ain't about that. It is about having an humble spirit and an humble heart before God. Lord, teach me. It is like being the, the Ethiopian unit to Philip. How can I know except some man teach me? It is about having a spirit of humility. What has Matthew just said? Jesus, he says, God skips over smart people, wise people and folk who think they know something. So therefore, now this me to you, you say to yourself, I am nothing. I know nothing except what you tell me. All I am is because of you. All I will be is because of you. All I know is because of you. You, Lord, are my everything. My and I mean this from my heart. My Jesus and him alone is my everything. God hates pride. He, Paul will tell you later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God don't fool with arrogant folk. God saves humble folk. But anyway, but we dealt with that principle. Now let's just keep going on. Notice what Jesus said concerning skipping over folk who think they know everything. Yes, Father, 
For this way, that is skipping over the know-it-all folk, skipping over the big-time folk, skipping over the folk who think they're spiritually in good shape. I'm in good shape with God. Yes, Father, this way, dealing with the humble folk, was well-pleasing in your sight. God likes the humble. You see it now? Therefore, if you have not repented, and if you have a spirit of pride, most likely you do, because it's in us all. It's in us all. We need to be aware of it in us because we always try to take out a speck from somebody else's eye and don't realize the plank that is in our own eye. It's pride is in us all. Recognize it, repent of it and go with a bowed head before God alone and say, help me. Because this is what pleasing in the sight of God. Then he begins to talk about, indeed, just because they have rejected me as Messiah, it doesn't change a doggone thing. I am the Messiah, whether they believe me or not. That's verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my father. I am the Messiah and he has given all things into my hand. But notice something now. Now, here's the second principle that Jesus is about to teach. And I'm going to wind it down because it gets long. But it's a powerful principle. Powerful. But notice what he begins to say. I'm going to break it down. Watch this. And no one knows. And this is the verb that comes from epignosis. That is to have an intimate knowledge. An intimate knowledge means a saving knowledge. The knowledge of having a saving relationship. You got it? A saving relationship. That's the word he's using here when he says the nose. No one knows whom. The son. No one receives Jesus as the Messiah. No one knows this intimacy of the Jesus. No one knows the son except the father. Only somebody who has intimate knowledge of Jesus is God alone. None of us has in, in innately, that is within ourselves. I love it, saints. I love it, saints. Let's look at the context. Jesus, he can be going, been preaching and teaching. That's what he said, right? Continue doing the miracles, right? How did the people respond? In unbelief. Then Jesus began to uh, upbraid those cities in which he's teaching and preaching his word, right? Responds. That's the context. That's the whole context. So notice something in all of that, no matter what Jesus did in the preaching and in the teaching and in the mighty miracles, you still are unable to simply see these things and believe in Jesus on your own because and we, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it because number one, where I am now having that saving knowledge to establish a saving relationship with Jesus is only innately of the father. Only the father possesses this knowledge. You see it now that can get this intimate relationship with Jesus. Now let's keep continue. Watch this now. Nor now he's continuing to build it. Does anyone know the father except the son. And when you say the no, it's that same word based on epignosis. It's a verb, but the same intimate knowledge 
that leads to a relationship, intimate relationship, saving relationship. Nobody has that relationship except Jesus. You see it now? So whether it's having that relationship with the son or having that relationship with the father, only the two persons of the Godhead, the father and the son have this. You, in other words, you, even if you heard the preaching, heard the teaching, saw the miracles, just like they did, you still won't get it. You still won't come into this intimate relationship because this possession is only in the father and in the son of having this what intimate relationship or otherwise you reject him too. But watch what Jesus said. Now watch. And concerning that relational knowledge, anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. That's why this just wears me out. Now watch this. Let's break it down. He is talking about that epignosis, that intimate knowledge that leads to accepting Jesus as the Messiah, coming to an intimate relationship with both the son, that is even the father through the son. How did this knowledge of this intimate knowledge that drew you notice context, those who are unbelieving, those who are unbelieving. Remember Jesus said, I did all of that stuff. You still didn't believe me. He's giving that answer now. Okay. Second part of the answer. It is simply because notice the son must will to reveal him. In other words, the only way you come into this intimate saving knowledge, that which leads to salvation is Jesus has predetermined to open your eyes. If Jesus does not open your eyes, you will be just like them. You will hear the message, hear the teaching, hear Jesus proclaim he is the Messiah. You will see all the wonderful works that Jesus did. And yet you will not believe in him, even though common sense might say, well, why you don't believe if the son, if Jesus does not say, I have determined that Mary, I have willed that Joseph, I, and I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph, the mother of Jesus. Those names just came to me. I have willed that Nancy and George hear and believe, come into this intimate knowledge. I have determined why? Because I am in line with the will of my father. I always do those things that please him. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. Therefore, I am opening the eyes of those whom the father has determined their eyes should be open. So therefore, the only those who hear, whom I choose, whom I choose. See, no, you, I don't care what you think. Look at the text. Anyone whom the son wills, Jesus said, 
Everybody ain't going to just hear and believe. It's going to only be select people. Well, what select people, Jesus? The one I have chosen. You are not saved because that's why I try to tell you guys a million times. It's not about you. It's not about anything you did. It's not about I got tired of living in sin. I got tired of living the dead, nasty life that I've been living. I went to church one morning and I decided I made up my mind. This lie, 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 lie. If you are saved and only those who will be saved are those to whom the son has chosen. He wills to have what? Go back to that context, that epignosis, that close relationship, that saving relationship. No other way that you can interpret this passage, period, period, and stay in context. So what did Jesus do? Let me tell you what he did in a nutshell. He, he did the preaching and the teaching, right? He did the miracles, right? And because of their failure to respond, he upbraided them. And then he continued on to give, remember what I said, the meat. Now, this is some deep, deep teaching. What is the meat behind it? He says, it's two reasons for all of this. So at the first time, he says, what? First reason, first principle, God don't fool with arrogant folk. I know it should be doesn't, but when I'm trying to preach hard, I say don't. <laughs> God does not fool with the arrogant folk full of pride. So you watch your heart. God deals with the humble. He deals with the low. But not only this, he has chosen these ones. Notice again, because that's the whole idea of the point. He has chosen the humble, chosen the low. Because salvation, being saved, is about whom God chooses. God has chosen the low and the humble. Principle number one. Second thing, second principle. Well, why didn't they believe you, Jesus, out of all the things that you did said? Why didn't they believe you? He said, because it was not the divine will for them to believe. Why? The only way you can have this knowledge, this relational knowledge. Remember that word? That's why I told you that word. Epignosis, that verbal. This is because... The son has to will it. Nobody knows the father, but the son in this way. Nobody knows the son, but the father in this way. And the only somebody who's going to come into this saving knowledge, notice, believing that Jesus is the Messiah, is whom he has willed it, whom he chooses to know. You got it? So therefore, those who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and believe in Jesus as the Messiah, whether the Jews of his day or people in our day are those who have been predetermined and pre-chosen by Jesus to believe. Why? Of yourself, you cannot do it. And notice what Jesus says unto the Father, for this is what was pleasing in your sight. And let me give you an answer to why it's pleasing in God's sight to do it this way, saints. And it's recorded in the scripture, even in 1 Corinthians and even in other places. That in whatever we do, let us all give glory to God. No man boasts in himself or boasts in another man. So whether, whether in work or whether we say something or do things, God receives glory, all the glory. As it is written, he who boasts, let him boast 
in the Lord. If you're going to say something good, it's going to all be because of what God has done, not because you change your mind. It ain't about your mind. It is God who has chosen you. So guess what you're going to do? Give God the glory. Okay. So with that, with that sense of those who are, who have been chosen by God, those who have been chosen by the Messiah, he simply says to them now, what? Because many going to reject, but those who will come to him are chosen already. Come to me. What? All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Now, there are two ways to look at this. The first way is the expansive way. Waiting, laden, heavy laden with sin. Heavy laden with their spiritual inadequacies. Again, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Heavy laden because they realize that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. Come to Jesus. He is the only one who can save. Okay. That's, that's, that's one broad, but the more direct way of what Jesus is trying to say here is not just in that expansive way. Jesus being a little bit more direct. He is speaking to those who have been hearing the teachings of the Pharisees, the scribes and the lawyers. You have to remember guys taking all the teaching that we do. Not only did the Pharisees and the scribes teach the law, but they made thousands of rules that they commanded the people to obey and to keep that were not in the law. Remember again, the law had 613 commandments for the people to obey. When the Pharisees got through with it, they're going to expand it by thousands. So imagine load compared to load. The load of Jesus would be the load of the law. 613. Look at it in a sense of pounds. 613. And the load of the Pharisees, thousands of pounds. So now, which load is easier to bear? The load of Jesus in, in strictly obeying the commandments of the law or the load of the Pharisees obeying the law and a thousand other rules that they made up. So that's what Jesus is trying to say. And that's why when we get into chapter 12, dealing with the Sabbath, as I have already told you guys, the, 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 the law of Moses gave rules concerning the Sabbath, but the Pharisees gave thousands of other rules concerning it. Man, they just added rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. So you're going to see what Jesus, the example here of, the load of Jesus compared to the load of the Pharisees. So that's why Jesus says, come to me and now listen to the teachings of the Messiah, because in comparison to the teachings of Jesus, the Messiah, it is very different from the teachings of the Pharisees with all of those additional rules. And so that's why he continues to say, take his yoke. That means be bound like animal yoke, like an oxen bound under a yoke. Take his yoke upon you. The yoke is the commandments of Jesus. And in Jesus' time, the commandments of the law. Comparison to the yoke of the Pharisees. Thousands and thousands of rule. Take my yoke and become a disciple to me. 
Learn from me. Learn the truth. Matthew five through seven. Again, you have heard that it was said unto you, Pharisees, scribes, and the lawyers when them and all of their rules. But I say unto you, take my yoke, take my teachings and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle, humble and hard. You find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Instead of the Pharisees with thousands and thousands of rules that nobody and even they themselves don't even keep yoke yourself with my rules because I, unlike the Pharisees, am merciful. I, unlike your teachers, are humble of heart. And I, unlike your teachers, in trying to keep their rules, you can keep them. You can find peace and rest for your soul in me over against them. Why? For my yoke is easy. My teachings comparison to them and the many rules is easy. And my burden, what I put upon you is light in comparison to what they put upon you with the many rules and legislation that, that the Bible did not say. Their yoke is heavy. Okay. I know it was long. It's always long when we do one chapter. But guys, thank you for joining me with that. And the whole bottom line is what we were looking at is Jesus in his continued teachings and his ministry and as a whole, how they rejected Jesus, but even in a more glorious sense, why they rejected Jesus? Because it was not God's will. Why? God's determination was for the humble of heart and for those whom he has chosen to hear and believe the message of Jesus and for his and for those who have chosen Jesus by the foreordained will of God listen to his teachings and his teachings only for they and they alone the teachings of Jesus alone provide rest for your souls not the teachings of your church they don't provide rest for your souls that is the teachings in addition to what the Bible says. You know, I've heard so many things. Let me, just, let me just give you an example. Let me give you an example. Christian people should not drink. That's not found nowhere in the Bible. The Bible only says, do not be drunken with wine. That is, never drink so much wine that it influences your behavior. Christians are indeed allowed to drink. It is no place in there where it's not said that. But churches will establish rule upon rule where you can't do that. And I can even go, oh, I, I, may have been, I better stop right there because some of you guys probably pass out. <laughs> but rules upon rules, burdening people with their rules. And Jesus says, that's not what I have given you in the scripture. Come unto me. My followers, listen to me. My disciples, obey the teachings that I and I alone have given you. That is the teachings of Christ, the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. That which is found in scripture and scripture alone. That and that alone. Everything else you got freedom to do. You got freedom to do. But they bind you. They load all these other teachings upon you. Okay, enough, enough, enough. For that's chapter 12. 
and then we, I'm sorry, chapter 11, and then we will get into chapter 12, as I normally say, join me as we get into chapter 12, and we will see just what Jesus is talking about with these additional burdens and this the weight and this additional yoke put upon you by these other teachers as he talks about the issue of the Sabbath. All right, thanks for joining me, guys. See you next time, and remember, the Lord bless your heart, the Lord touch your heart. These teachings are a blessing to you. Support this ministry. See the link in the description, send a donation, become a monthly partner. Help me bring these teachings to you. In Jesus' name, see you next time.